You are listening to Middle East Monitor Conversations, bringing you lively discussions with prominent voices from the region and beyond as we delve deeper into issues shaping the Middle East and North Africa, from politics to culture and the arts. Hello and welcome to another conversation with the Middle East Monitor. My name is Nassim Ahmed and I will be your host for today's discussion. A new analysis by a UK human rights group, Cage International, has um, revealed an alarming increase in the number of uh, pro-Palestinian activists who are being cracked down on by members of the British establishment and schools and uh, uh, colleges and universities. Uh, Cage International, which was set up in 2003 at the height of the war on terror, it notes a 455% increase in the number of cases that it's handling since the last upsurge in 2021. So I have with me uh, the head of policy from CAGE to discuss the report, but also to discuss um, CAGE as an organization. As I mentioned, it's uh, celebrating its 20th anniversary this week, and CAGE has announced it's going to be going international. So I want to discuss with them their work, the 20-year legacy, their key uh, accomplishments, and how generally their work is continuing with detainees in Guantanamo Bay. And um, I have with me uh, Anas Mostafa. He is the head of public advocacy at KGK. Uh, he guides media strategy and um, various other research projects within the organization. He is also a speaker and advocate against the abuse of state power and specializes and uh, specializing across the breadth of UK counterterrorism. Anas holds a degree in English language, is a native speaker, of course, and a student of Islamic sciences. Anas, uh, thank you for giving us your time and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for hosting me. So let's begin with um, what I mentioned earlier that Cage is celebrating its 20-year anniversary. Uh, it, it came out of the um, hostile atmosphere that was created during the height of the war on terror. Uh, so what can you say are some of your main highlights of the past two decades? So, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Cage has been around, as you rightly mentioned, for 20 years. Uh, this month, we're celebrating... Uh, our 20th year of, of existence. Uh, as you've rightly noted as well, that CAGE came about because of the increase in violence, persecution, targeting towards uh, Muslim minorities in the West, but in particular, the emergence of this class of, of prisoners that had no rights, um, no access to justice, uh, tortured and humiliated and used as a sort of token of uh, American victory and American might uh, and, and were hooded and shackled and taken to Guantanamo Bay and, and other black sites across the globe where they were tortured. So Cage emerged in that very, say, very dark context to uh, point a finger and say that everyone deserves basic sets of rights and freedoms, irrespective of who they are, the color of their skin uh, or, or their beliefs. And at that, at that point, funny enough, it was a very controversial position um, people were told by Bush, President Bush at the time, that you're either with us uh, or against us. So lining up against the uh, against the prevalent narrative 
or challenging the prevalent narrative of that was being pushed by the U.S. establishment and the broader Western Western establishment um, was highly controversial at the time. But we've come to be vindicated over the years that Guantanamo was a stain on the American uh, on American consciousness. On the on, and uh, President Obama himself um, noted that it's uh, that it's something that needs to be shut down. I actually signed an executive uh, decree to shut down Guantanamo Bay, but never did. Uh, end up uh, delivering on that promise. So that's the beginning. That's the beginning of Cage. And I guess, as I as I just explained, the first sort of success of Cage was to be able to humanize and present pictures, images, names, stories of those men who were hooded and shackled, and you know, and and uh, and were uh, were paraded on 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 the media as some sort of, as, as the worst of the worst. Giving them names, people like Mazenbeg, like Tariq Dargul, like the Tipton Three Brothers, like Shakir Amar, uh, Mansour al-Dwayfi, and so many others we've come to know uh, who were Guantanamo Bay and actually exemplify the best of morals, uh, ethics, values, and were people who were selfless in their, in their sacrifice uh, and, and, and had no, no, no evil uh, intentions towards anyone. Uh, and, and happened to be uh, kind of picked up in the in the rage or zealousness of the kind of war on terror. So definitely Guantanamo Bay ranks up very high in terms of the successes of CAGE. And throughout the years, um, we've seen how uh, policies such as PREVENT, which were put out essentially as a spying program, uh, uh, was exposed again uh, over the years through concerted effort and through dedicated campaigning such that now we know that PREVENT has no scientific basis. This is, again, something that an exclusive report published by CAGE. We know that, that the government was funneling cash into fake, sometimes fake, and sometimes um, manufacturing organizations in order to buy or manufacture legitimacy or consent for the PREVENT program. Uh, we know that much of the training for PREVENT uh, was based on kind of racist or Islamophobic tropes. And this is, again, because of the campaigning and the organizing that CAGE was leading against, against the PREVENT policy. And we've taken considerable hits over the years. But right now, we're in a position where uh, last month, Amnesty International, uh, the, 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 the liberal human rights uh, organization, has come out to say that PREVENT needs to be abolished. So again, this is a, this is a, a major success for, for CAGE, having to kind of shifted the Overton window, as they say, on, on this issue. Uh, again, you have other kind of matters such as arrest without charge or trial or citizenship deprivation. Uh, these cases mark some of the darkest periods of the early years of the war on terror, where men were arrested and held in British prisons without charge or trial for many years. Uh, Baba Ahmed is a particularly egregious example, having been the longest serving UK prisoner uh, without charge or trial, uh, just over eight years that he spent in British prison uh, without charge or trial. Um, and um, uh, and those are some of the earlier cases that we campaigned on. And if you remember, Bab Ahmed, um, one of the successes of his case was that he uh, 140 or 150 or thousand people signed a petition in his support, leading to one of the first uh, debates in Parliament uh, that was due to kind of public pressure uh, to happen uh, um, on on his case. And the fact that he should be freed and not extradited to the United States. 
So I think over the years there have been many highlights, many, many, many successes. And these are just three that I thought uh, would be good to make mention of. Yeah, and you mentioned um, those are some of the highlights and most of our listeners probably will remember those names. And you also spoke about Guant- Guantanamo Bay. Um, this is, of course, a moral blight on the US. Uh, despite Obama's effort, he managed, uh, he failed to get that closed down, which is, I think, is a moral blight on him as well and his presidency. Why he was unable to get Guantanamo Bay closed is, um, is shocking. Um, but he has gone off the uh, radar. Um, so provide us with an update on the situation there. Um, are you still working on cases related to detainees in Guantanamo Bay? And what's the situation w- regarding that? I mean, Guantanamo Bay is embedded into the DNA of CAGE. It's something, we, it's something we're very passionate about, something that's going to remain a central part of our work um, uh, uh, so long as there are prisoners held there without, without charge or trial. So, um, so from a, from from a, from a set of prisoners, nearly uh, amounting to nearly eight hundred prisoners or so that were held in Guantanamo Bay, at the moment there are only around thirty that remain in Guantanamo. Uh, amongst them are two Afghans, one actual uh, one who's a uh, uh, you know Afghan kind of native, and one brother who's. Uh, uh, an Afghan, uh, he gained Afghan citizenship, um, who, who remained there, who we're working quite uh, quite focused on those particular two cases. They are they're called uh, uh, Muhammad Rahim and Abdul Hadi Al Iraqi. These are two kind of highlight cases that we're working on. We're very we're working closely as one of their legal teams and have multiple meetings with them in order to kind of try and, and find a resolution for them, find a place where they can be resettled to and, and released to. Um, broadly speaking, we are in touch with all the other legal teams. I mean, one thing to make mention of, perhaps your, your viewers may not know, is that the brothers who are in Guantanamo Bay, they know CAGE very well. And very often, legal teams from across the world will come to visit CAGE in order to gain our support because their, their clients actually demand that go to CAGE. They are the experts on this issue and get their feedback, get their support, get their guidance on, on these issues. So these things... Obviously, you can't always kind of promote it in the press and so on and so on, but they are happening um, uh, every day. So Guantanamo Bay is still um, a key part of our work, um, and um, we continue to have, build relationship with the legal teams there and advocate for their causes. In fact, you might notice that we've employed uh, one of the longest-serving kind of prisoners in Guantanamo Bay, uh, Mansour al-Dayfi, uh, who is based in Serbia, uh, uh, He's the, he's, he's the head of our Guantanamo project, and he's doing phenomenal work in raising awareness about Guantanamo Bay, uh, building partnership, coalition, um, you know, writing, commenting, and raising awareness about those prisoners who are still facing the kind of stigma and persecution as a result of their imprisonment in Guantanamo. So this work is definitely ongoing, and um, uh, I, don't, I don't see it stopping anytime soon um, because the political will and the appetite to close Guantanamo Bay Unfortunately, even 20 years on, it's still not there. Mm. And one thing I've noticed because of your work, or we've noticed because of your work, is how much um, resistance there is from governments around the world, in Europe as well. Uh, democracies don't like having their um, you know, crimes being exposed, uh, I would say as well. 
And as a result, a number of your staff have faced um, have faced um, you know traveling bans, I would say, and they've not been allowed to go to meetings. What's the situation with that now? Are you still finding it difficult to do your work in Europe to represent your clients in various um, capacity? in various uh, legal, providing, providing legal counsel and uh, conducting your work in European legal centres. Is that still the case in, in the case of uh, CAGE? So, uh, I mean, contrary to popular belief, it's um, the vast majority of our, of our, of our staff uh, travel quite freely and without, without issue. Um, uh, the problem that we've recently had, which is with our managing director in particular, and that's a very politicized uh, sort of uh, targeting of him uh, due to him being the front of our kind of European uh, expansion, if you want to put it that way. And in particular, uh, the work we've done uh, exposing the French persecution of Muslims. Uh, over the last three or four years, Cage has um, uh, produced reports, analysis, uh, briefings, um, events and awareness and so on on the situation of Muslims in France uh, because Muslims in France uh, by and large have been uh, have been denied a voice. The organizations that have been representing them have been shut down uh, and those who still remain are under extreme pressure by the Home Office there and, and, and the central government and, and, and it's uh, and, and the way how they how they operate what we term, as the systematic obstruction policy, which is a sort of to for full total maximum policing type uh, operation uh, uh, that seeks to restrict Muslim activism uh, in any shape or form. So it's like Al Capone methods, if they can't get you because you've broken a law, then they'll find some sort of tax issue that, that may be used to, to close you down, or perhaps there might be a, a health and safety violation or anything. Anything essentially just to stifle the, those organizations. So because of that, our managing director has, has faced some consequences uh, uh, and restrictions in his ability to travel uh, to France um, and most recently uh, Poland and Switzerland. Uh, however, each of those countries don't have to have a particular problem with him per se. So it's the French government that is imposing its will on other smaller or lesser influential European nations and it's something that we're taking quite seriously and we've challenged this in the past and won and overturned it and we're, we're, we're very confident that we'll be able to overturn it in the, in the very near future inshallah. So it seems that you're already doing a lot of international work, working internationally especially in cases like France where you're challenging Islamophobia and pro producing reports on Islamophobia, state Islamophobia. So, so what's the thinking behind CAGE International? Um, you announced that this week that CAGE is going global, it's going international. So what's the thinking behind uh, that? Yeah, so as you rightly said, CAGE has always been doing some sort of international work here with us. Guantanamo Base, obviously, in Cuba. Uh, you have um, uh, the kind of uh, black sites where the, the CIA is a torture. Muslims. Those are all across the globe. Um, uh, a number of high-profile cases that we've oper operated on or supported uh, are not based in the UK. However, those were individual kind of campaign. Uh, Cage, um, 20 years on, we've recognized that 
there has to be a concerted effort to not only campaign on on specific matters uh, beyond the UK uh, uh, political space, but also to tr to build capacity elsewhere, because the challenge that we're facing as as minorities, whether in the UK or in Europe or even Muslim majorities elsewhere, is a very similar one. Uh, if you follow the trajectory of it, you find the same actors. Uh, they are able to organize on a global front, and we should also be able to globalize and, and pull in our expertise on a more international level and actually invest in building institutions that are able to organize that force. So that's that's the change that people will see uh, with CAGE. So when, when we say we're CAGE International, it's more a statement of where we are at the moment, because this is some, this has been a gradual shift that we've been uh, um, we've been making over the last I would say the last five years, uh, and at, at this moment it was the, the the right moment to say you know what it's time to go public and to announce that yes this is this is the direction that we'll be heading down, uh, inshallah and um, and uh, the, 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 we've already had some some success in being able to organise uh, a cross section of Muslim NGOs across Europe to attend the uh, OSCE, which is the largest intergovernmental uh, security conference on the globe, um, where we're able to confront representatives of various states on their abuses against Muslims. And um, we've done that for a few years consecutively. And, uh, uh, and there'll be multiple more efforts, inshallah, uh, on this front, organizing Muslims across, the, across, across Europe and elsewhere, building capacity, and making sure that our work is more interconnected, supporting one another. So before I get to your work on Palestine, uh, based on what you said, the question that comes to mind is, uh, will you also be working in one of the Muslim countries uh, have, defending victims of war on terror? Because as we know, a lot of these authoritarian regimes in the Middle East have embraced the war on terror narrative and they are targeting uh, Muslims there as well. But we saw how much, um, how challenging it's been for you to work within democracies in Europe, that there is there's not much space for you to work within. So do, do you expect to be able to um, conduct cases, represent clients in the Middle East as well, where there are less room for civil organization, uh, civil groups and legal groups like yourself? I mean, obviously, there are certain countries which are, which are should be quite impossible to work to work on. Um, uh, whilst in others, there's, there's opportunities. Uh, we've supported clients, for example, in Qatar. We've supported clients in Turkey. Uh, we've supported clients in Bangladesh. Uh, we've uh, we have contact with families in Afghanistan. Uh, we've um, uh, there are some some uh, some issues through partnerships in in and supporting Pakistan and in and in India. So there is there is a scope where Cage can. Can lend its expertise, uh, its knowledge, uh, its ability to coordinate to campaign to, to others, and fundamentally, the the, the international scope of, of Cage is, and I've said it a few times now, is it's more about capacity building and 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 creating opportunities. We find ourselves very often people coming to our doors because, as you said, the war on terror has evolved, but fundamentally, a lot of the oppression that Muslims are facing is rooted in the language. The, 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 the policies, the discourse of the war in terror. Uh, it might have evolved slightly because the war in terror right now as, as a term has become slightly archaic, but it's still very much alive in our day-to-day -day life and laws and so on. So people, the organization continue to come to case because of that experience. And I think the shift that we're making is to say, yes, 
I think we, we are at a position where we can be that um, that experienced voice, that, uh, that hub uh, for, 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 for other Muslims to come to, to learn, to, to, to develop and to train. Mm. And as I mentioned, you, you've been doing a lot of work on Palestine recently. Uh, I think last year you um, took the decision by the U.S. Um, um, Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, um, to demanding universities and schools and colleges adopt the IHO definition of anti-Semitism, uh, cracking down on pro-Palestinian and activism. So you've been doing a lot of work on that. And just this week, you published a report, which is quite a chilling report, uh, which shows us there's been something like 455 increase in the cases you're dealing with, um, censoring Palestine from schools to workplaces. Uh, so what, what are the key highlights of that report um, that you published this week? So uh, that report is called the uh, Censoring um, Palestine from Schools to, to, to Workplaces. It's, um, it's a summary and analysis of our uh, casework a lot over the last two months. So since the attack and the genocide and on Gaza began uh, two months ago, uh, we've seen how solidarity for Gaza, solidarity for Palestine has been interpreted as being extremism, sort of radicalism, sort of um, a risk, uh, being treated through a counterterrorism lens, a policing lens, uh, being penalized in schools where expressions of solidarity being banned. So it's created a lot of problems and a, a lot of this is, is rooted in, in, in the Islamophobia and in Islamophobic policies uh, uh, underlined by kind of war and terror legacy laws. So um, over that period, we've dealt with an excess of 200 cases, about 97 or 98% of those cases involve Muslims. We've seen how prevent has been weaponized. So uh, throughout our cases, we've seen how uh, uh, prevent has been weaponized in order to suppress support for, for Palestine, parents and children being threatened to be referred to prevent, you know, the, the Muslim spying or counter-extremism program, if you want to put it that way. Um, we've seen how children are literally bullied by their school to remove symbols of Palestine from their clothing, even on non-uniform days, uh, asking them to, to, Palestinian kids literally, to remove uh, the shirt stating that they're Palestinian that they're, and that they're proud. We've noticed how there have been criminal investigations, immediate suspensions from work and terminations of contracts, a gross kind of misinterpretation or misquotation of, of statements by our imams in the masajid and khutbas and charity commission investigations to kind of put pressure regulatory pressure on, on Muslim charities and, and Masajid. Uh, and again, uh, how anti-terrorism powers being used with the silent people at protests. Um, it, uh, it's all symptomatic of a sort of uh, full-spectrum assault on the right to stand for Palestine, to support Palestine, um, instigated by you know, right-wing media interests, um, politicians, lobby groups and the likes. Uh, and we're seeing a sort of undercutting uh, assault on the freedom of expression of Muslims uh, in, in the UK and anyone who is uh, pro-Palestine. So these are some of the key learnings that, that the report uh, has come up with. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite a concerning read, 
But on the flip side, by the, through, through the cases that we've dealt with, the vast majority we've managed to um, uh, come to some sort of resolutions of those cases. And a good number of those cases, there's been actually a reversal of these sort of anti-Palestine Islamophobic policies uh, and even apologies secured. Uh, you, may, you may see how there was a particular school in, in Halifax, which we supported parents there. Um, and following uh, banning essentially items of clothing that are related to Palestine, uh, um, they actually came round to apologize to the community, apologize to the child that was involved. Uh, reverse their policies, actually set up fundraisers for Palestine and commit themselves to, uh, you know, developing their cultural understanding of these issues. So uh, I think there are definitely some highlights and some wins and it shows that the community is coming together and rallying support. You know, people aren't, uh, aren't left to walk alone. Uh, parents are becoming more active in their children's education. And these are positive outcomes that has come from, from all of this. Mm. And what we just heard this week, uh, there was a case in East London where a boy was allegedly bullied by the schools for wearing a Palestinian flag on his jacket. So uh, that work is needed more than anything else. So just so on that, just one final question. So how difficult has it been? I mean, you've got 200 examples, individuals you guys are representing. Um, so how difficult has it been navigating through the legal um, challenges Um so do you find this easier? I mean, if you challenge those cases, uh, is it more likely that there is a chance that you will um, defeat or win and reverse the allegation? Uh, what's been your experience? It's been, a, it's been a mixed bag, it must be said. I mean, the, the mm -hmm. political atmosphere, uh, you, have, you have a government that has created a hostile environment um, towards Palestine. And they've uh, they've legitimised, uh, or they've given the green light for um, certain head teachers of particular agendas, or people in or bosses in workplaces who have a particular bias or prejudice against Palestinians or or, or Palestine more generally, uh, to act upon those prejudices and to discriminate against uh, pupils or colleagues and, and that in employees in in those settings. So a lot of the time it's been quite, you know, hard and laborious work, um, reviewing policy papers, reviewing guidelines, um, you know, it's liaising with uh, with employment lawyers and so on. So it's been quite, you know, a, 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 it's quite difficult to, to 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 manage these cases. But at the same time, uh, um, uh, people have shown a willingness to challenge. They've been shown a willingness to stand up for Palestine and be counted, and have shown a willingness to not. Uh, be silent when there is an actual genocide taking place against their brothers and sisters. And this is all quite reassuring for the position that we're in as well as the community more broadly. Yeah, and that's, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think you've given us a really good um, uh, historical uh, review of where Cage is, where it started from and what it's been up to and the work you guys are doing. And I'm sure you would continue to be doing that work, especially now with so much uh, that's going on in Palestine. Um, so I want to thank you again for joining us and those who have tuned in from wherever you may be uh, to the show and speak to you soon in another conversation with the Middle East Monitor. Bye-bye. This was Middle East Monitor Conversations. 
brought to you by the Middle East Monitor in London.